It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 488 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week I have a special guest, and that's Rich Duick, the creator of such wonderful things as Gutter Magic, Road of Bones, Sea of Sorrows, Wailing Blade, and even has a story coming in the upcoming issue of Superman Red and Blue. We talk about the various creations that he's done, both in the worlds he's made and playing in other people's sandboxes, including the Turtles, among other things. He's got a lot of interesting things to say, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy our conversation. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the podcast, Rich Duick, the creator of so many good books. And I've read several of them, but I'm sad to say I haven't read them all. And I got, there's some reading I got to be doing here. And the, the first one I ever read of yours was Gutter Magic, which I really enjoyed. Uh, you've also got Wailing Blade, Sea of Sorrows, which I've read, um, Road of Bones, which I've read. Uh, you've also been contributing in the, like, uh, some of these, uh, uh, short story books like All We Ever Wanted mm-hmm. and some other good stuff like that. So there's, I didn't know you had done The Turtles. That was a surprise to me. Yeah, it's so, about a, a few years ago. Really? Wow. So, so Rich, all these kinds of good things have been uh, going on. But, uh, of course, I wrote a review of Gutter Magic way back when, when it first started out, and I loved the first issue. So I thought we'd start a little bit about there, and then we'll get to the latest one, which is a uh, story in Superman Red and Blue, sure. which is coming out in June. So, okay. Gutter Magic I really loved because a lot of magical stories just sort of appear out of nowhere. You know, they, they suddenly pull a rabbit out of their hat, the way mm-hmm. I like to describe. And your book doesn't do that, thankfully. I really loved the fact that it was very, you know, you didn't do anything that you didn't uh, give us a a forewarning about. And I struggled, honestly, to get the last two issues. And finally, the lady who runs the store, where I buy mostly, she discovered a store that had those two and got them for me. And I got to read them. And I I was so happy I got to read them. It's such an interesting book. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because if was that your first book? Yeah, that was my first book. Um, it, it was. Um, it's not the the first comic I ever wrote, but it, it was the one the first um, the first one that like I kind of went from script into um, into uh, you know getting the art done and, and getting getting it published. Um, I think. Let's see. So, so what happened was uh, when I was getting into uh, decided I wanted to start writing, um, I took a class um, at this place called Comics Experience, and uh, the class project was a five-page script. So I wrote a five-page script. Uh, it was called Gutter Magic, a uh, short story. Uh, but I really liked it, and and I decided I wanted to get it um, get it made. So. I found an artist, uh, I got that made and, uh, I really liked kind of the, the universe. It was one that I had been kind of building for a while in my head and, and on paper. Um, not really sure what I wanted to do with it. So I, I did write, uh, a few more short stories and got those made and then decided that I wanted to start developing it into a, uh, like a full length series. Uh, so I started doing that. I uh, got the first issue made, and then that was all I had for a couple of years. But I had been showing it to to a lot of people that I was meeting, um, both online and at conventions and things like that, uh, and getting like good responses. So uh, eventually, we were able to um, secure a publishing deal with IDW, and then uh, uh, that enabled us to do the 
the next like the the last three issues of the series and um from there it was off to the races yeah but i think um one of the things with gutter magic like you said like uh that things didn't come out of nowhere it's because like i did spend a lot of time uh kind of developing the world and thinking a lot about how how magic would work there and and sort of building all these internal rules that maybe even if I don't address every single one of them in the story. It's like I had them in my head and knew what was going on. So I think that kind of really helped it all uh, hang together. It was great. Now, let me read the description as I see it on Comixology. Now, I think it's right now it's under Source Point Press. Yeah. That's the way it looks. Yeah. Uh, yep. Let me read it. It's a, a paragraph here. Let me get to it. It says, in a world where the power of magic, not the atom bomb, finally settled World War II, Manhattan in the entire world, as we know it, is a very different place indeed. Dragons and nimble airships flit between towering skyscrapers that have become wizards' towers. Cinder Burns has been trying to lie, cheat, and steal his way into the world of wizardry his entire life. And he's finally got the key to unlocking the magical power denied him, to him for so long. But first, he needs to stay one, hep, one step ahead of a necromatic crime lord her gang of death-worshipping thugs, and everyone else who wants him dead. <laughs> <laughs> Which I enjoyed. I, the, the, I love the setup was, was really great, too, that this was that World War II was solved by magic and not by the, the atom bomb. It sets everything all up. It's so, you know, the, the, again, you're, st- you're not making magic come out of nowhere, but you can tell that there are magical beings, uh, people who are much more magical than others. And the Cinder Burns, who's the, the main character, he seems to struggle with making yeah. magic, which I loved. I thought, you know, so many times people just go out of nowhere and they're the best that's ever been. And, I, and there's no sympathy for that person. But this person I really felt a lot for. I think, you know, as far as world building and character building, I thought this was a really great, great comic. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, um, it's, you know, definitely one of my favorite things I've written. Um, working with source points been great because they actually, uh, let me go. Not only did they republish, uh, the first four, they let me go back and do, uh, another four, which just was kind of like a follow-up story. Um, that's, that we're called, we called uh, smoke and mirrors. Um, so that, uh, came out in issues, but that was like, it was last year, kind of during the whole time when, uh, you know, uh, COVID was kind of, uh, shutting down, shut down diamond and a lot of comic stores were shuttered. So it didn't really, um, I think it was like, it, it was pretty hard to find at the time when it was coming out, but this year I believe we were planning on collecting it in a, like a trade paperback. So it should be like more widely available for fans of the original series. But, uh, That'd be great because I, I I I had the first four issues, but I want to get the collected edition of both of those because those are great fun to have. And I want to, you know, I have a shelf where I put books that I like to pull out and read occasionally. And you know, it's just a, lo- a little longer story is fun for me. Mm-hmm. On the case. So to be able to read both of those together would be really great. But I, I tell you, I struggled to get it for a little while there. So I, yeah. I was so grateful when she came across them somewhere and she got them for me. And boy, the first thing I did when I got home, I read them. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, that was a great. And, and that's another thing I really liked about the book. It ended well. Every time I say it, it's really an interesting, <laughs> smart ending is the way that I put it. Because it's just such a great book. Oh, thank you. Which leads me to ask, have you got more gutter magic coming in the future? Well, I think that's a little bit up in the air now. We kind of have to see where, uh, how the, how the new trade does and things like that. I mean, like I, I would happily do it. Um, you know, I, I have like a lot of stories and like I said, I, I did spend a lot of time developing the setting. So I think it's the kind of thing where if, uh, someone was like, Hey, we want more gutter magic stories. I could, I could, I could just keep writing them, and writing them. But you know, the realities of the industry is, is that you know, um, I'm going to need like a publishing partner in that, mm-hmm. um, or maybe you know, at some future point, go to Kickstarter and, and do it that way. But mm-hmm. I would say, like, 
you know, the desire is there. I have, you know, I have stories planned. It's more just sort of question of um, the logistics of it and how, how we're going to, how, how, how we could get it done. So have, have you used Kickstarter before? Yeah. Uh, a couple of times. Uh, once with gutter magic, actually, um, hmm. I, 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 had a few short stories I wanted to write. So um, after the main series was out, I did like a, a digital Kickstarter uh, for what I was calling Tales from the Gutter. Um, that went really well. It was successful. And then um, the other book that we've, I've done through Kickstarter is Wailing Blade. Um, and I did that through um, through Comics Drive, which is uh, uh, they're like a smaller publisher, but then they do a lot of like I think almost all their books now through through Kickstarter because they've grown a fan base there over the years. Um, but both we did a, a Kickstarter for issue one of Wailing Blade, and then we came back and uh, just did uh, late last year a Kickstarter for a hardcover edition, and both of them were really successful. I actually just got the hardcover for Wailing Blade. Uh, uh, in the mail and it's, it's a beautiful book. So super happy with how it turned out. Now, Wailing Blade is like 180 degrees away from gutter <laughs> magic. You know, let me, I, I, I'm going to use comicsology as a reference to describe things. Cause I think it kind of helps us understand the sure. book. It says Wailing Blade is a high adrenaline fantasy adventure set in the dark future of mankind. When his father is sentenced to death at the hands of the legendary head taker, Bandit Prince Tycon, am I pronouncing that right, Tycon? Yeah. yeah, that's how I pronounce it, yeah. Okay, must find a way to save him or fall to the Wailing Blade himself. And you had four issues of it, and <laughs> it's great fun. I have to say that this, the, the action and adventure and stuff, because, you know, Gutter Magic isn't so much an adventure story as it is a dramatic story. Mm-hmm. There, there's, there are things that happen in it, but it's not like, like a Wailing Blade. Wailing Blade is punching and kicking and running and jumping. Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of like fighting and like gutter magic. There's a lot more kind of like subterfuge investigation, like kind of, uh, running around a city. Like whaling blade is, is very much like, uh, almost like a love letter to like, um, Conan or he man or something like that. You know, like mm. there's a lot of like roots in like, um, sword and sorcery and, and weird, science fiction that I, I enjoyed, um, you know, a lot of stuff from like the, like the sixties and seventies, like pulp, pulp era, of like sword and sorcery and sci-fi. So, um, so yeah, like, you know, different book, but also like one that I took a lot of time, uh, with the world building, like, uh, I made a map for it, like, a <laughs> like, a uh, like the type you would find, like if you're opening up like Lord of the Rings or, uh, or another like fantasy novel, one of the things I always loved about those books was that they came with a map. Like, you know, I, I would reference the map while I was reading, but also there would be times when I would just like, just look at the map itself and, and think about like, wonder about like what all the different places were. Cause you know, it was like a map of the world, but the story was only taking part like in, you know, a small part of it. And I, I just wanted to, I wanted people when they're reading Wailing Blade to have a similar thing, like where they could like look at a map and just sort of uh, not only get an idea for where things were, but also just kind of wonder at, at that wide world and, and what was going on in it. Gosh, the blade is huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much like inspired by kind of like uh weapons you'd see in like anime or uh or manga or stuff like that like uh the funny thing is, is we we actually had a prop made to take around to conventions and comic store signings mm-hmm. and um the prop guy see like i commissioned it and i thought he was gonna be making it out of foam uh but he's like he's like yeah i think we're gonna use like uh wood is that cool and i and in my head i'm thinking oh he must mean since it's so big, he wants to reinforce the foam with wood. So I was like, yeah, no problem. Um, this thing comes in the mail and it's solid wood. Oh, and it, it is. It was so heavy that like Joe, my, uh, the artist, we, we were just like sick of like lugging it around. 
But the funny thing is, is that it, it just sort of confirmed to us that like, this would never like really work in real life. Like we're just thinking like you, you would have to be superhuman to, to be able to fight with this thing. Uh, but I just think it just makes it that much cooler. Just, uh, yeah, it's definitely huge. It, it, it lets out this, uh, big whale, uh, whaling sound when, when it, when it's being used in a fight. Um, uh, it's just that book had a lot of fun doing and hopefully another one will come back to, uh, in the future. Because, mm. you know, I, I, way back when I first started going to conventions, there was a guy that made uh, Thor's hammer, and he made it completely out of metal. Mm-hmm. And he'd walk around and carry it around the convention, and he'd say, do you want to try to hold it? And when he came, I, I said to him, well, I'll try. And luckily, he did not completely let go, because <laughs> <laughs> I started to crumble underneath it, and he, he picked it back up, and I was like, well, Okay, I said that's. I guess I wasn't worthy, you know, kind of stuff. <laughs> but it's just wild how those things go. It's just such a fun. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing to see something in real life, and then you really appreciate <laughs> how this works in in the, in the comics. Yeah, it's great stuff. So well, because so you start, you did say you're gonna you're thinking about some more. Yeah, because that's another another like uh, story. I think that it's got a lot of great characters and a lot of. Uh, great ones that we have in mind that we haven't even really uh, a couple we've like introduced or only touched on. And then there's others that Joe and I were talking about that we haven't even introduced yet. So I think we've got plenty more stories to tell in that universe. Uh, Again, it's just, you know, going to be a little time before we're able to get back there, but, but we definitely plan to. Now, one of the reasons I'm spending some time on your, your previous stuff is because I don't think we want to spoil the, the Superman Red and Blue. Uh-huh. We'll talk a little bit about that, but we can. I think it'd be good to spend some time talking about the stuff that leads up to that. Sure, it's, yeah. It's good stuff. It's been a journey. Now, you did two horror books, mm-hmm. two horror stories that got me. One I have finished and the other I have not. The, the Road of Bones I read. Sea of Sorrows I started, but I haven't quite finished it yet. Unfortunately, my, my stack of reading materials is as tall as I am, and unfortunately, <laughs> I haven't gotten to everything yet. But I did read Road of Bones, which, gosh, it's, it's got a long paragraph. I probably shouldn't read the whole thing, but it's, I'll read a little bit of it. It says, uh, history, uh, horror, history, and Russian folklore collide in this brutal survival tale where the worst prison in the world is merely the gateway to even darker terrors. Mm-hmm. And we see one of the uh, one of the guys. I, I think the Roman Morozov is the name of the guy. Yeah. And they, they several of them escape, and then things don't go all that well. Yeah, I mean, it's basically it's uh, it's three guys who escape the Russian gulag into the middle of Siberia, which is one of the most uh, deadly and and uh, coldest climates on on Earth. Um, and they, you know it's a rushed escape. So they don't have enough food and it's these three guys and, and they're out there and, and the food is dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. And one guy <laughs> is uh, Roman keeps having these hallucinations or visitations. Like we're not really clear whether it's an actual supernatural creature visiting him or if it's just sort of like a manifestation of, of his, uh, you know, is he going insane? We don't know. But, uh, but uh, yeah, um, it basically just comes down to uh, what these guys are going to do to survive. And um, are all of them going to walk out of, uh, of Siberia or not? And we won't spoil that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's the, the one thing that that book did to me was it made me put a sweater on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a book where like you, you're looking at these snowy landscapes, uh, and there's a lot of them because I mean Siberia is huge, so we really wanted to give the sense of like, you know, you spend you spend like hours or days climbing a snowy mountain, and your only reward is to see the next five mountains in front of you that you're going to have to <laughs> make it over. So, um, but yeah, Alex did an amazing job. I think, uh, Alex Cormack, the artist with just getting across that, that feeling of like, 
cold and, and like it, you can almost feel it like the chill in your bones on some of those pages. Oh, I, I, but on the other hand, I could not put it down. Even though I was cold as could be, I had to keep reading to find out what was going to happen next. And it ends interestingly, I do have to say. That's got a really interesting ending. Yeah. And, and the, ending, the ending is, you know, I think we really like the ending too. And that's why when, um, when we were thinking of Sea of Sorrows, you know, like, we wanted, we knew we wanted to do another horror series together, but we didn't really want to do like road of bones too, like, you know, the next day or, or, uh, or pick up with these characters like 10 years down the road or something like that. We, Cause we really liked the way it ended. So, uh, we, we kind of just went back and we were like, well, you know, what really, what did we love about making this? What, what did, did, you know, what were people telling us they liked about it? And I think like one of the things that um, one of the threads that uh, we were hearing and also thinking was that, you know, there's this really interesting interplay between um, like a real historical event that was horrific. um, A, uh, a supernatural element and also just exploring something horrific about the human psyche when it's pushed to certain extremes. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we love the way those different elements of horror played together. And we were, we approached Sea of Sorrows as finding another kind of point in history where we could explore similar themes mm-hmm. and, uh, while still doing something new. So it didn't feel like we were just kind of, going over the same round over and over again. So, mm-hmm. um, so for Sea of Sorrows, we, um, we settled on the post world war one era, like in between mm-hmm. the two world wars. And mm-hmm. we had salvage crew, uh, going out into the North Atlantic in search of a sunken U boat full, full of, uh, full of gold. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they encounter a, uh, a supernatural, um, sea siren that mm-hmm. complicates things but it's like mm-hmm. you know what's more dangerous is it is it this this siren mm-hmm. uh trying to lure them to their deaths or is it their greed over the gold and you know the infighting over that so you know that was just um that's what we were trying to do is was sort of find another i guess you could call it like point point in time where we mm-hmm. could explore another like gripping psychological supernatural horror story with the historical element to it. Yeah. This one, I, I, like I said, I haven't finished this one yet. I read the first two issues, but I haven't read the last three and some of the stuff that got me, I had a brother-in-law who used to go on a submarine mm-hmm. and I, I saw it one time. I, I couldn't go in it, but I, I looked at it and I thought, man, if you're completely shut in in this thing, and you can't go anywhere, and you're underneath the tons of water and stuff like that. That was a, I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> I just don't. And that's the whole thing. Uh, one of the things, too, that got me was you mentioned it, and I was going to mention it unless you, you did. The, the siren mm-hmm. really got me. <gasps> wow, that is scary stuff, uh, the way that that's done. I really. Oh, yeah. Well, if you, haven't, the, if you haven't read the last three issues yet, just wait, because there's plenty of surprises in store. For you with uh, with that that young lady. Oh boy! Uh, <laughs> oh boy. I can't yeah, wait um, to see that because yeah. she is creepy. Yeah, she really is. And uh, things take a turn in issue four and continue <laughs> to go off the rails. Um, <laughs> but Ugh. like you mentioned, like uh, like the tight spaces in the submarine, and and that's another thing. Like uh, Alex uh, brought up in. in uh, when we talked about it too with people is that, you know, the thing that fascinated him about drawing underwater and the thing he wanted to capture was the fact that like, it is claustrophobic, but mm. there's, it's open for like miles around you. Like when you're in one of those diving suits, it's like mm. you're shoved in one of these suits and there's this whole world going on around you, but you only really see what your light can illuminate. So it's like, you don't know, there might be like a giant shark, right next to you and you would never know because mm. your your light's not shining on it and 
it's it's funny how like well the books work together because Road of Bones is very white because it takes place in, in, in you know, a snowy region. And so much of Sea of Sorrows takes place underwater or below decks of the ship that it's a very black book. Like, like the, the color black is, is like dominant throughout the whole thing. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, they just I don't, work really well together. I think. I just don't know which was scarier to me. Uh, <laughs> I was looking at, it, I'm going like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, because both of them were really terrifying to me. I just kind of was like, I don't know. Of course, I haven't read the end of this Sea of Sorrows yet, so I, I may change my mind when I get there. But, uh, wow, it's just uh, – it's interesting, though, that the, the Sea of Sorrows, a lot of the times the water looks a little space-like. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like outer space because, you know, you've got this black space and then, you know, the divers are breathing. So Alex draws a lot of bubbles, you know, to mm-hmm. represent that. And they're – they almost take on like a star-like quality, you know. Mm-hmm. But then there's this creepy cover on issue two. Yeah. Oh, with the that undersea outfit, and then what do you see inside of it? Not a person's face, but a skull. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that got me. So those, those are. I mean, do you prefer, do you like horror pretty much? Because those are uh, two of your, the, I think, strongest books with those ones. Yeah, I mean, I I do, and. I, I, it's funny because I never really um, pictured myself writing horror until very recently. Like, I, I, you know, I, I like horror. I've liked horror for, you know, a long time, but I just never really kind of thought of it as um, something I was like dying to explore um, as a writer. But, what happened was uh, I was I was doing some research into uh, into prison breaks because I had like a vague idea for a science fiction story I wanted to do that had a prison break and I started reading about the gulag and um, and just realizing that this was kind of a piece of history that I really wasn't familiar with so I just dug more and more into it and the more I dug the more I was like you know I think there's a really great potential for a story here and i don't think i've ever read one quite like it so i was like forget the science fiction element what about uh what if i just make it a historical story what if really lean into the horror of this and and see how it goes and you know when i when i started writing it I wasn't even sure if it would work or if I could pull it off, but the more I did it, the more I got into it and the more I enjoyed it. And then, um, and now it's something I, I really like. I can see myself not abandoning, um, science fiction or, or fantasy or any of the other genres I like to work in, but definitely it's, uh, it's going to be part of my uh, career going forward is writing more horror stories. Well, you, you certainly do it well. <laughs> yikes, yikes. Cause, oh, gosh. Uh, some of your books, I think, are perfect reading for, like, Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Oh, because I, yo, that's when I read Road of, Bo- Road of Bones, actually, was uh, right around Halloween. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and I just was like, you know, and, and of course, I live in Florida, but here I was with a sweater on, you know, like I said. <laughs> and everybody's going, why are you wearing a sweater? It's 80 degrees outside because it's cold in here. <laughs> That's why. Cause that, and, and, you know, this, with this, the CSR, I was like, I got to get to that. That's something I got to pull that aside and, and finish those up because, boy, those are those are really going to be good. Now, one of the things that you've also done, because this is the Superman Red and Blue uh, we're going to get to. Is the, you tend to write stories that are part of collections, yeah? Stuff is is that why? Because not everybody likes to do that. Is that something? Do you like writing shorter stories? Because, like for example, Sea of Sorrows is like about five issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is it is a good change of pace for you to write shorter stories? Yeah, I do like writing shorter stories. Not you know, obviously not like to the exclusion of longer ones, but I think it's a good way to you know both try new things and, and also explore, um, explore some stories that I might not have, have gotten to write in another way, you know? Um, 
And the other thing is not every, not every story idea that I have, like, is complex enough or, or deep enough to, you know, um, support like a five issue or, or four issue series, you know, some of them are, have like kind of like a, a simpler premise and, you know, or just like get it done in four pages, eight pages, however many it is. Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a nice change. It's a nice change of pace or change of genre. Like, um, like all we ever wanted, which I did, uh, a story for, uh, I think it was 2019. Um, you know, the theme of that was, uh, you call it like positive futurism. Like, you know, it, the idea was that it was a reaction to a lot of like dystopian, uh, fiction, like cyberpunk stuff, or, or like a lot of stories where like the future is just garbage. Um, mm-hmm. You know the 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 question that the anthology was asking was what what about a better future? What are some interesting stories we could tell um, in a future where things have gotten better? And uh, and that was an interesting thing to think about. You know, so it it did make me kind of think about a story that would fit there that you know I might not have have come to uh, on my own through my own devices. So yeah, I, I think anthology work is great. Um, yeah, I love doing it. So do you remember what the story was that you wrote for that? Yes. It was called, uh, Gaia and it was about, um, the basically like, uh, in the future, we are on kind of like a, a post, post-apocalyptic type of earth. So like basically like at a certain point in the past, things got so bad on earth that basically everyone who left, everyone who was able to leave did. And earth was just very in a, in a bad place environmentally. And, uh, you know, but some people stayed behind and managed to bring the planet back to a, a place of beauty and, and a place where nature thrived. And now we're like kind of like thousands of years later and some of those elements of, uh, of groups that, that left have come back looking to reclaim, uh, looking to reclaim earth for themselves. Like, you know, they kind of see it as their legacy or something to be exploited. And these people that are left, uh, don't want them to happen. And I realize that sounds like there's a lot going on and there, there kind of is in the background, but it's like, you know, the story we're telling is basically like five pages. Um, and we did get it, get it done. I think in a, in a, in a nice way. Cool. Cool. Very cool. Cause, um, I remember the book I talked with Tyler about that book and I, I read them and I, I didn't remember which one you had done. So that, that, that brings it back to memory. Now that was a, that was a great story. Good stuff. Um, what about scamthology? You talked about comics tribe. Sure. Um, Apparently you did one in there, it, and it says the, the basic the basic summary is pretty easy. It says, imagine you had superpowers in Vegas. Yeah. What was your story there? Uh, well, so Scam is the brainchild of uh, my friend Joe Mulvey, who uh, the artist I did Wailing Blade with, and like the story that, that he told, I think it was like a four-issue series uh, initially, and it was basically – Ocean's Eleven. If uh, imagine Ocean's Eleven, if the gang had superpowers, mm. so um, so we had all these like fun and wild characters, and uh, and he was looking for um, for some stories to kind of fill out this Ultimate Edition um, scamthology that he was doing, where the book would have the entire series. And then some of these side stories. So uh, I was just looking through uh, through the book and, and reading some of the characters. And um, one of, uh, I forget the name, uh, have to forgive me because it was about like eight or nine years ago that I wrote it. Um, wow. but, um, but one of the characters, she, 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 was, uh, she was invulnerable. Uh, like, you know, like she could take bullets and, you know, 
whatever without getting hurt. So the story is basically uh, me thinking like, well, what would a vulnerable person, um, what are some, what's a fun story we could tell with her turning to a life of crime. So I was thinking uh, the story is basically uh, she's with a gang of thieves robbing a bank and they double cross her, uh, not realizing that she, you know, they actually can't kill her and she, she gets her revenge on them. Uh, but that was a fun story. I got to work with uh, Joe Eisman on that. Uh, he's, he's a great artist. Um, <laughs> at the time he was right. doing uh, morning glories, which was one of my favorite books. So that was like a real like thrill to do. Cool. Very cool. As, as we're proving right now, you are really good at world building and creating of new characters. But we're, I guess we'll wrap up by talking about the fact that every once in a while you go and get into established yeah. characters. Like we mentioned Turtles, and we'll get to Superman in a second. But how did you end up writing for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? That, that doesn't sound like something that would, that's in your normal wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of funny. Uh I guess it's because Gutter Magic landed at IDW, um, which holds the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles license. So, um, mm-hmm. so when we landed at IDW, we were assigned an editor, uh, Bobby Kerno. He's a great, great editor, great writer in his own right, and uh, also happens to um, edit the entire Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to know Bobby working on gutter magic. And then when it was finished, um, TMNT at the time, they had the main book, but then they also were doing, you know, a few mini series here and there. And also had a secondary book called TMNT universe, which was kind of the, the goal of that was to explore, maybe some lesser known characters, some characters that might've had small roles in the, in the main storyline, just kind of like fleshing them out a little bit. So when we were done with gutter magic, I hit up Bobby and I was just like, Hey, you know, if there's anything you ever need or any opportunities that where I could, you know, pitch a story to you uh, for anything you're working on, I'd love to. And, and we just said, well, we happen to be looking for some stories for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe so if you have any, send them my way. Um, hmm. So, you know, yeah, I, I mean, it took some time, thought about it, read a lot of, of the books and, and a lot of the ones that, you know, some of the side stuff that, that I missed. And I, I saw some characters that I thought I could tell like a fun story with. Uh, it's funny because I wrote, I wrote in the TMNT universe, but I didn't actually get to write any of the actual turtles. Uh, the teams hmm. that I wrote were the, uh, the, this team called the Mighty Mutanimals, which are kind of like a more uh, kind of like a motley crew of uh, of misfits, uh, you know, all kinds of different animals. Um, but it was still a lot of fun to do. So I got to do one issue. I think it was issue eleven. And that that entire one was all me. And then I got got to do a couple of uh, backup stories and, and later issues. I think. Uh, in the twenties, it might've been like 23 and 24 that I have short five, five page backup stories. And, and again, they were a lot of fun. I mean, like the, the issue is like the first time I had ever written something with, uh, you know, characters that weren't my own. And mm-hmm. also my first time learning, uh, you know, when you're writing something that's part of like a larger universe, you, have to keep things in mind like continuity and, and which characters are where and which characters you can use, which ones you can't, you know, um, in, uh, in the case of TMNT, everything also needed to be approved, not only by IDW, but by Nickelodeon who was licensing uh, it out to them. So, <laughs> so that was a great learning experience. And, uh, and then for the backups, I, I, again, like, you know, short stories. So I got to have, like a little more fun and, and do things that were a little bit out of my wheelhouse. Like um, one of the short stories, uh, five pages called like life at sea. And it's totally ridiculous. It's it's, there's this character called pigeon Pete uh, who is like uh, a little bit, not all there um, uh, mentally. So, you know, the whole story is him kind of imagining 
the characters from the turtle setting in like as like pirates, like in a, you know, basically like a, almost like a pirate musical. And it's just like a fantasy in his head, but I just had a lot of fun writing it. And, and, uh, a funny story about that is, um, my, I have a son who's in kindergarten and a lot of the kindergartners really like comics. And the teacher knew I wrote comics and she's like, are there any comics that you can read to the class? And I'm looking through my work and I'm like, well, I can't read them road of bones. No. I can't read them. Uh, PSROs. I can't read them. Uh, Wailing blade. Uh, but mm. I was like, but you know what? This, this, funny little one-off story like i read through it a couple of times just to make sure there wasn't anything like um inappropriate in it and there wasn't and it was like very light-hearted and very fun and i read it to the class and they loved it so it was you know uh it was just just you know that i think that like just to go back to what we were talking about about you know short stories giving an opportunity to kind of do things you wouldn't normally do yeah, mm-hmm. and it was great. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. That must have been a challenge of sorts, though, to where you are the one developing the world. Suddenly, you go into a pre-established world. Yeah, you were talking a little bit about it. Did you find that difficult to do, or was that was just flex different muscles? How did that work? I think once once we found an idea that we wanted to do, it wasn't difficult. I think the difficult part was finding that idea because you know it's not like i just said here's the story i want to do and 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 bobby said yeah let's do it bobby was like send me ideas so i sent him like maybe four or five ideas not like fully fleshed out but like you know just like a paragraph just summing up what it was and he might be like uh there were some he just didn't like but then there were ones where he was like i like this but we can't do it because this character is in Japan right now. Uh, and, and we're not planning to bring them back, uh, for another 20 issues. This one, these guys were, we're doing, we're, we have a mini series coming out with them and we don't want to overexpose them. So they're off the table too. So, you know, there was a little bit of that back and forth, like trying to find something that would fit in the continuity and, um, that was also interesting to both of us. And then also uh, just getting a feel for like kind of what, what they were looking for. So, so yeah, it was a process, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it like difficult necessarily. Well, the reason I asked that is because now you're getting in, you've got a a story coming out from a character that is extremely well established and uh, (laughs) doing a Superman and a Superman red and blue, which is coming out June 15th, according to comiXology. Yep. And you've got a story in there. So why don't you talk a little bit about what the story's about? Sure. Um, So the story is, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but basically it's, uh, it's about a, uh, Superman winds up saving a uh, kind of like a, a social media star, like a YouTuber, and it winds up uh, the act of saving him winds up making his his life uh, a lot more difficult uh, over the next few days. So you're um, just like, yeah, that, that's that's a, that's a good like place to leave it. But uh, but I had a great time writing it. Um, you know, uh, it was an eight page story. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not like I was going to, um, you know, write some, uh, galaxy spanning saga or, you know, um, something like that. But, uh, it, what it was, was a great opportunity, not only because it was a short, but also because, uh, the stories in Superman red and blue are not like, in continuity stories. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to really worry about, um, where things currently stand in the, in the DC universe. So I was really able to just give my take on Superman. Like what, what do I love about him? What, what draws me to him as a character, why he's one of my favorite superheroes, uh, and really just do that, uh, without anybody, 
sort of saying, no, you, you can't do that, or, or that's not what Superman's like anymore, or things like that. Um, hmm. And I got, uh, I was really, I feel super lucky to be paired with uh, Joe Quinones, who's uh, an amazing artist. Um, uh, you know, he's, he's done so much great work, and he also really was able to capture kind of the essence of, of the Superman that I had in my head. Um, Mm. I think we both kind of have a similar approach to the character, similar things we love, Um, you know, like, uh, like just to be perfectly transparent about the influences, like a lot of it is inspired by like Christopher Reeve's performance and, you know, Mm. Superman's uh, 78 and, uh, and Superman two, like those movies, um, you know, it's not like he didn't draw Christopher Reeve, but I think like the Superman he drew and, and the Superman I was writing, it's like, it's not the same character, but there's certain things that are kind of cut from that cloth. Um, and you know, I think he was just like a perfect fit for it. Cause like he's doing, he's doing a follow comic to, to Tim Burton's Batman. Um, so he really kind of can, take a lot of those I guess you could call them like retro elements and kind of like update them and, and bring them into you know um, a great looking like book that doesn't and not have it feel like old fashioned or stale and um, yeah I, I think it was just a great pairing and uh, I'm super super happy with how it came out Cool, because, you know, I, I often ask people, and I, I had a chance to talk to Philip Kennedy Johnson before he started uh, doing it for DC this year, and he always he talked about how heroic he wanted Superman to be, you know, larger-than-life kind of stuff. But I, I think sometimes writing Superman is a challenge because he's so moral. I mean, we have a fair idea what he's going to do every time. You know, Batman, on the other hand, is not nearly as <laughs> moral, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. And you, you're, you're not sure exactly what he's going to do. But with Superman, you pretty much have a fair idea what he's going to do as far as that goes. Did you find that a challenge when you were writing this uh, story? Was it, uh, you know, well, how did that influence you? I think for me, one of the things that I love about Superman Mm -hmm. is that, you know, you're saying like, you know, you always know what he's going to do, which is like, Mm -hmm. you always know that he's going to do the right thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's really kind of inspiring and really, um, really what, one of the things that I love the most about him is, is that, you know, he like, he's sort of like, he's a guy, he, he, he can't really have a bad day. You know what I mean? Like if he has a bad day, like, uh, a lot of people would get hurt. You know what I mean? Um, I think, you know, I think one of the things that we've seen over the years are a lot of, attempts to sort of deconstruct Superman and think of like, what would Superman be like in, in the real world confronted with real world problems. Mm-hmm. And for me, the answer is really easy is because he'd be Homelander from the boys or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, any of it's like if, if Superman really gave into all his power, he, he would be a monster or a dictator or something like that. And I think the, amazing thing about Superman is that he has enough power to basically do anything he wants yet. Mm -hmm. He chooses to use it in such a way to benefit, uh, mankind, you know, and and I do touch on that in my story is that like, you know, he can, he can punch anybody out. He can burn a hole for them with his heat vision. He could, you know, he can do all these things, but he can't like really force people to do the right thing. You know, like he, he can't force anyone to, um, to, uh, 
to be better, all he can really do is try to lead by example. Hmm. And, um, and I think that's uh, a powerful thing. And I think it's the sort of thing that a lot of people think of as kind of like corny about Superman sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. oh, it's the Boy Scout. But I mean, I think that's kind of what I love about him is that, you know, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't just like, you know, kill Lex Luthor with a flick of his thumb because he could, mm-hmm. he could, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That's all you'd really need to do is just, just, uh, just flick and Lex would be done and there would be an end to all the, uh, you know, world dominating universe destroying plots that Lex has come up with, but he's not going to do that because he knows that if he does that, he, he, he starts down the path of like, he basically has to be become like, uh, you know, he's going to have to do that to everyone. You know what I mean? And where do you draw the line? That's number mm-hmm. one. And then, but then also there's a part of him that really believes that, uh, if he could just get through to Lex in some way, you know, Lex might be able to turn his, his genius, uh, for good. You know? So I think just those, those things are what really inspire me, uh, about Superman as a character. And, and I think the great thing about having this be the, the Superman story I got to work on was that I was really able to like, kind of explore that in a very free way without, you know, saying, all right, well, this is what I want to do, but you know, there wasn't an issue 20 years ago where he, where Jimmy Olsen said this and, it was pre-crisis, but still might be, in, you know, like it's complicated. And I don't envy us, uh, you know, the editors of, uh, you know, Superman books or, or the writers that kind of have to go through all these things. I mean, I would love to do it myself and I'll, I'll happily like do all the research I need to do uh, if that ever happens. But I think the freeing part of this was just being able to tell a like a pure story you know like Mm. just like this this is how i see the guy this is what i love about him and i hope you do too Mm. so it sounds like you'd like to write more superman oh yeah in a heartbeat (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah Mm. you know there's a lot of there's a lot of super there's a lot of characters like at marvel and dc uh both that i would love to work on, but I, you know, like Superman has always had a kind of special place in my heart. Uh, so it's really amazing that I, I got to write him. Like I, there's a lot of superheroes. I like, there's only one superhero shirt that I own and it's like a blue one with an S on it. And, uh, <laughs> you can bet I'll be wearing it when I go to pick, pick it, pick the issue up at my comic store. So, oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy, it sounds like fun. It's, it, it, it's interesting because when I talk with people about Superman, it's always interesting. Uh, the people that really love him look at him as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting. People that don't like him look at him like you, you've hit some of the, the, the things that they talk. He's a Boy Scout. He's this, he's that, and the other. But I think when people look past all that and actually see Superman for, like, as you see him, I think that people would get a, a really interesting, uh, I think you'd find Superman a lot more interesting than, than they do. Yeah. I think so. So it was really good. Now this of course is going to again, coming out on June 15 and Superman red and blue number four. Yep. So make sure that you get that one because it's going to be in there and it's going to be great fun to, to do it. Well, hopefully they'll ask you, I haven't heard that this is coming to an end. I don't know, maybe you know more than I do about it, but yeah, if they but, want you to come back and do another one. That would be fun to read too, I think. Well, I, I believe it. Uh, I don't know about ending or whatever, but I know that uh, it's planned to be six issues and then collected into like a volume. So it might be like they'll do a volume one and then do a volume two down the road. I don't know, hmm. but, uh, but we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. 
They're doing Batman black and white again. They do that yeah. every so often. Yeah. So Maybe right. Superman red and blue would be like that. They're doing Wonder Woman black and gold or something. Somebody was telling me. That. Yeah. They're doing Wonder Woman black and gold. Uh, they did Harley Quinn black, white, and red. Yeah. And then, you know, Marvel got in on it too. They did Wolverine black, white, and blood yeah. and Carnage. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, That's great. Yep. You've got to be a part of it, and that, that's an important thing. I guess if that, they, you, that teacher ever invites you back, you'll have another story you can Yeah, Yeah, I think this one would be pretty appropriate. So, Very good, very good. Are there other projects you're working on that we should be aware of? Uh, let's see. I have a um, – I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Razor Blades. It's a, it's a horror comics magazine put out by uh, James Tinian IV. Oh. Um independently uh it's just sort of like a like a horror showcase like again and a lot of like short stories and essays about horror and things like that uh i have a uh i have a short story in the next issue which i think is going to be issue four should be out um fairly soon um and then i do have other stuff i'm working on but i'm not really uh, at liberty to say what it is. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to be seeing more from me, uh, hopefully uh, towards the end of this year and, and definitely next year. So uh, great. Yeah. Sounds great. Cause is that, uh, more horror? Is that what the, uh, a yeah. couple of horror projects? Yeah. A couple of, okay. you know, and, and some of some, some other stuff that I'm, you know, there's stuff that I know is definitely happening. There's stuff that, I am still in the process of working out, you know, okay. pitching it and things like that. So, Very cool. yeah, I'm not going anywhere. So, Oh, good. Oh, good. Because I was looking through Comixology. There was a bunch of stuff that was there from you. And I was like, wow, some of the stuff I haven't read yet. I got to be sure to get catch up on these because I haven't, I haven't quite followed. That's one of the problems I have with uh, people who write for multiple companies. It's hard sometimes to track it all down. But in some ways, that comicsology is helpful with that because I can say, "Oh, he did that." Okay, I should. I can. I can often I can download it, buy it, and download it, and then read it, and then go looking for the paper copies mm-hmm. to keep because really good stuff. So that's yeah, really great stuff. Now, if people want to follow you on social media, how do they do that? Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram, both uh, at, at rduek. So it's at r d o u e k. Um, and those are the places where I'm most active. I'm a little more active on Twitter than I am on Instagram. That's because I'm a writer and I'm more apt to type something out than have uh, images to post. But uh, but I am on both. Um, and uh, I also have a website, rduek.com, that I have a newsletter on that you could sign up for if you want to get um, – semi-regular updates about what I'm working on and also uh, just some insights into like maybe how I work or, um, uh, you know, thoughts about the comics industry and writing and stuff like that. Um, cool. Yeah. And uh, that's probably the best, best places to do. I have like a, a page on Facebook uh, called, I think it's Rich Dueck Author, but I don't really use it all that much. I'm, I'm much more on Twitter. Okay, well, you know, if I see your name on a book, and sometimes I don't see them all, that's why I don't have them all, but but I buy it because I know I'm going to get a good story. And I love your world building, and I love your ability to, you know, build characters to ones that I haven't seen many times. I I love that because I've been reading comics for a long time, and when somebody can surprise me and intrigue me like you do, I think that's a wonderful thing. So all I can say is, Rich, I hope you keep it up and keep making comics for a long time to come. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. And 
that's it for this episode. Be back next time. I'll have another great interview with an excellent comics creator. Something I'm sure you won't want to miss. But until then, keep reading your comics. Yeah.